<laughs> you are joining the Salty Witches podcast. It has been a couple of weeks since we've had an episode. We are very much aware of that. Life has been super No, no I, I posted like a 20-minute mini episode last week. Oh. Where I talked about or answered uh, a question from Pam on psychometry. Just okay. a bit. I, I think I, I talked about a couple of other things and I shared a personal experience in relation to the the use of, of psychometry. Oh, okay, um, cool. Anyway, yeah, I, I couldn't let our, our beloved saltines go two weeks in a row and not give them anything. And someone else clearly was not going to step up. I mean, I offered to step up and you told me no, not to worry about it. So that's fine. Um, anyway, I, let's I, move on. I explained on that episode that you were like super busy because you had the Awakening the Witch course coming to an end. And you were like gearing up for initiations and things. Mm -hmm. and you were just like really, you were all caught up. So tonight's episode. Oh, whatever. <laughs> well, never mind. You can do this shit by yourself, bitch. That's fine. Um, tonight's episode is all about listener questions because we've gotten so many listener questions. I have several in my inbox. Which is the salty witch's inbox. So thank you so much. So I have one, two. Three, I've got three, and then I have a, a follow up, uh, follow up, a bit of follow up information on our episode on sex magic, um, because I realized that I neglected on that episode to give a couple of book references okay. for reliable information. So, so get to it. Okay, so one is a. We're gonna go with this person's. It's a question about Reiki. Okay, so. I feel I should probably answer this question. You go right ahead. You feel well, what, 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 you go right ahead. What's the question? Greetings. I, I will happily offer my expertise. Greetings. Can witches utilize Reiki as a healing modality? Um, I am not new to the concept, but I feel I can somehow use this for myself. Thank you, Kai Gypsy Rose. I'm going to first say that if you are not Romani, you should probably rethink your name. Um but well, that might have been like that might be like a birth name. I mean, well, I know, but still, just saying. Uh, we're 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 past the point of asking people to legally have their names changed because their parents were unaware that the word gypsy was a slur. Okay. Anyway, let's answer their question. So, <clears throat> go ahead and answer. Oh, Reiki master. Um, I'm I'm going to again. I'm going to offer my expertise on this. Um stay here you might learn something okay um i actually think that most witches um who want to focus a good portion of their their work their magical work on uh healing specifically like they want that to really kind of be a huge component of the work that they do and it should be a huge component of every witch's magical uh work working uh you know uh i'm kind of of the belief that that reiki actually is something that is very beneficial for witches to learn um, and I think a lot of people get nervous about that, uh, particularly when we see issues around like appropriating different cultures, spiritual practices, these kinds of things, you know, or how well something like Reiki would seem to kind of merge into what primarily seems to be more of like, like a, a Western European kind of a, of a situation for many people in their witchcraft, right? At least those traditional kinds of practices. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you look at the roots of something like Reiki, it actually uh, predates kind of what we identify it as now. A lot of what we see happening in Reiki really has its roots in very old Asian folk magic. Mm -hmm. um, and folk magic and witchcraft are like cousins, like kissing cousins. 
All right. This is only acceptable in Utah. <laughs> I'm the South. Um, oh, Lord. Okay. Anyway, uh, so, so no, so folk magic, uh, as it kind of evolved in a particular way and fell into, uh, kind of was re refined and kind of restructured into a particular type of practice. Reiki, right? Yeah. I don't see any reason why, why, if you wanted to, you couldn't, couldn't bring that into your witchcraft. Well, I'm going to disagree. You cannot bring Reiki into your witchcraft. And I, as a traditional witch, along with a Reiki master practitioner, uh certification say so no i'm 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 bullshitting you can totally bring reiki into your witchcraft practice um i've done a lot of training i have trained a lot of people and reiki is really good for anyone to learn in my opinion anyone who's going to be doing any form of energy work because the entire focus on reiki is flow and not push or pull it is all about allowing yourself to actually just be open um and be a vessel for that you are the facilitator of this energy that's all it is so you can use it for lots of things um it can be used to cleanse spaces it can be used to cleanse and clear things um it can be used in a whole different myriad of ways and it's always good to get that under your belt um reiki is something you do have to be trained in you cannot learn mm -hmm. this via a youtube video mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if you do and you find something, well, good for them for giving you all that information for free, but also Reiki is initiatory. I'm not saying it's closed because the whole spirit of Reiki is to spread Reiki. The whole spirit of Reiki is to like get it out there and continue oh, to utilize it's it. It's like the STI of spiritual practices. Sure. Um, that's actually really funny and I'm trying to stay focused. Sorry. Oh, all we right. have a no point. Yeah, in like two hours. I feel like I'm being rushed. I don't know why. I don't know. You need to be more calm like me. I'm always so calm. So calm. And relaxed. So anyway, um, I think any, any witch should learn to work with it. I am going to say that you want to find a reputable teacher. There are a lot of teachers out there who teach Reiki who were attuned by spirit, and that's just not how that works. Um, there's also a lot of teachers out there who don't even go into like the cornerstones of Reiki or the basics. They just jump right into, these are the symbols and here's the attunements. Now you're ready. And there, it's so much deeper than that. It is an actual practice. Um, Would you say, because I, I, this is the thing I see happening with a lot of people is like they, um, they pop up and they're like, well, I'm a Reiki practitioner. I'm like, okay, well, can you, can you like tell me a little bit about that? Like we've even had a few people in the, in the over the years come into the shop and like ask us to like inquire about working there and mm -hmm. like, joining our team of practitioners. You know, and, and of course, I'm always interested to hear about people, you know, because you know, who knows, you know, that, that can be the that can, person could be a, a wonderful addition to our team. Right. Um, but in talking with a lot of them, like and getting kind of the, 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 the details of their Reiki training and initiation, a lot of them, when I use the word initiation, they're like, oh, I don't know what that I, I, I didn't do an initiation. And then I'll start to kind of talk with them a little bit about the process in which they learned. And they're like, oh, well, I went to like this lady's house for like an afternoon. And she like told me to put my hands in this position on this area of the body and put my hands on this position in this area of the body and to call in my angels and to make sure that I aligned the person's chakras. And, um, and after like three hours, like I was a Reiki master. Yeah. That's not how that works. Yeah. Um, the attunement and initiation process in Reiki is a healing process of itself. Um, I used to be a very firm believer that it's not something you can learn online. 
but Reiki is constantly evolving, just like witchcraft is constantly evolving. And so with the ICRT, International Center of Reiki Training, um, they, they, ICRT, what? um, They, they actually have developed a process where it can be done that way. And um, the founder of the ICRT is actually like a direct descendant student of like, like the originals. So, but I'm, but those are legitimate things. Um, but you want to make sure that your teacher is also ethical. They don't just jump right into those things. If you're in first degree or you're at first level Reiki, you're not going to be learning symbols. You should be learning history and you should be learning practices and meditations like gosh ho. And I've had several students who have registered for my now upcoming Reiki course and they are like, well, I've already done all this. And I'm like, okay, well, what's gosh ho? And they're like, I don't know. My teacher didn't teach me that. And I'm like, okay, so there are things you need to do, but yes, Reiki can be facilitated and weaved through your witchcraft practice. I do it all the time. Okay. One last thing on Reiki, because this is something else that I've kind of noticed is trending. Um, It seems like every other day, someone is popping up with like a new type of Reiki. Mm -hmm. And I want all of our, our saltines. I want you to be very careful about that because it doesn't matter what they might call it. They still should have some sort of established lineage behind them for their type of training for Reiki. Yes. Um, And that should be a legitimate kind of lineage. You know, like we get people all the time that come in that are like, I practice Jesus Christ, superstar Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream code Reiki. Um, That's a big one here in Utah apparently um you know or i practice like holy angel dragon or kuan yin yoni steaming reiki and um i mean you know i'm being ridiculous now but not too much to be honest i hear some really amazingly stupid shit um odin reiki yeah odin reiki because you know the norse were all about reiki um anyway so um be careful about that yes because people will try to sell you anything yes they will for either for profit or because they are trying to be the next profit Mm -hmm. they will tell you anything exactly the the basis of training that you always want to get for reiki and then we'll move on is going to be a series have the final word don't you well you brought up other versions and other shades of Reiki. So I'm going to have to clarify. Yes. Um, but it's now known as a Sui Holy Fire Reiki. And so they're kind of, the, they're the same thing. Um, what makes it holy? I I don't know. I'm not, I haven't finished my Sui Holy Fire Master Training yet. And you shouldn't be speaking on this at all. But I do have my Asui Holy Fire 1 and 2. And the thing that I've noticed that is different is that it actually basically, you have the teacher who presents the information and takes you through the exercises, but then they step out of the way and it is actually your spirits being projected or enhanced through the prism of Reiki, if that makes sense. So... Like during my attunement mm-hmm. of my level two, um, I had an experience with Hecate Malinoe. Okay. So we need to go into all of that right now. But I'm just saying like, that's where you're going to see and find legitimate Reiki practices. Um, but there are plenty of Reiki practices out there that are just, if it sounds ridiculous, it probably is ridiculous. 
you know. Anyway, let's move on. Do you have a listener question? Well, let's get through yours because okay. I, I don't have as many as you do. Okay. So next listener question is a novel. What was okay. that? Ooh. Yes. Um, um Tristan Hassenfratz. I love that name. Me too. So, I Salty Witches, you answered a very lengthy and personal message I sent you in September of last year. For context, I was the first listener question on episode 33. I won't go into recapping to save time, and I wanted to thank you and give you a bit of an update. I really do appreciate your input you had to give to me. You actually said many of the same things my therapist did and allowed me to think about the situation logically. Although in the beginning, it was, I was very upset and emotional about the situation. And I did very angrily flush the questionable person's name down the toilet a couple of times. <laughs> Once I was able to calm down, I ended up not doing any witchcraft regarding the situation at all. Instead, my roommate and I had a had a few very difficult and emotional conversations and he decided in the end that this person was not good for him and has since stopped contact. Unfortunately for us, before this happened, he had taken it upon himself to act as basically a storage unit for this person since he could not take everything with him when he moved. I knew about a few things here and there, but I did not know the full extent until recently. This means that there has been a closet full of belongings from his ex fling in my effing home since the day before I put my wards up. This is problematic for me for obvious reasons. I'm sure you can imagine. I'm now in the process of formulating a plan to get everything back to that person ASAP without having to involve my roommate and then dissolve and completely redo all my wards. I am only mildly enraged. It's fine. This does explain why the energy has been off the entire time I've been here, though, and why I have been, while I've been having weird feelings about my roommate's close closet, you know the stink, stink lines people draw in cartoons. There we go. You know the stink lines people draw in cartoons to emphasize that something is bad. Question mark. Uh, it was an eerily similar feeling, and no matter what I did, I could not narrow it down to anything specific, and it would not go away. Well, now I know why and a rough draft of what I can do about it. Again, I wanted to thank you for responding to me in such a calm and patient way. It helped put things in perspective that was actually productive to the situation. I went back and reread the email I had originally sent you just before typing this and said, yikes out loud. That was coming from a very hurt, activated place i hope everyone over there has a wonderful day and i look forward to the next episode much love assault team oh well that was a listener well, question that was, that was just awesome and that was very nice thank you so much thank you so much for letting us know that we were able to be of help from the sound of it though you you you're taking care of this yeah and i want to actually give you credit because just with the details that you shared here you were much nicer than i am if that the belongings of your friend's ex whatever they were right um we're still in my house after probably more than a month or so. That shit would be going to the goodwill like real fucking fast. I, I would have piled that crap in a box and I would have been like, okay, bye. <laughs> um, so, so good on you for being patient about that, I, I guess. Um, but it sounds like, yeah, they've got a plan of action. It sounds like, sounds good to me. Yeah. yeah. Sounds really good. I'm glad we could give, give you some help and some guidance and Hopefully things start to lighten up. I did receive that a few weeks ago. Not a few, a couple. Um, maybe a week ago, I think, actually. But we're getting through listener questions. I've been very busy, as Mike said. So is Mike. We're getting we're, caught up. We're getting caught we're up. Catch up. So the next question comes from Carlos Solier. 
Hello, this is Carlos from Holland, Michigan. You responded to a message of mine about using statues, FUG, uh, statues and effigies in different ways. I want to give you a specific example. I am reading about the elements and their spirits, powers, and so on. I am putting together an altar piece by piece, and I'm using a statue of Pan to represent Earth. Malor says he is a god of chaos. Other Wiccans, far more experienced than me, have claimed to use him in spell works or chaotic magic. He does not exemplify chaos to me. The statue has him half animal, so the animal spirit is present. Wood, grass, flowers, bone, and his horns. I look at it, and it's peaceful and calm and strong, and everything Earth that is represented to me. Do I put him away and find another statue to represent Earth? Something that the Wiccan lore says is a better representation of Earth means to me. Look for something like Gaia or the Tree of Life or something like that. Or do I just say, fuck it, this is what it means to me, so this is what it is. I did hear you speak about this before in a prior video, but not in detail. How do you feel and tell the truth about people who use tools and herbs and statues in ways that you don't? Um, the prostitutes use lavender as a way to fool their johns into thinking they were prettier than they are, at least by smell. Do you use lavender in glamour smells in glamour spells now because of that? It makes sense. Or do you use it only for love spells? I'm new. I'm still learning. Most of what I do is meditation. Okay, that's actually a really good question. So we've got, we got a few different pieces in there. Yes, I'm first. I'm going to say. Um, Unless you are actually going into a Wiccan coven and being trained in traditional Wiccan tradition, then it's going to be some weird conglomeration, eclecticism of Wicca that isn't really in the roots of Wicca. So, be you know, you can kind of do what you want. Um, if you're in a coven, then you're you're bound by those laws, those structures, and those rules. But if you're more of an eclectic practitioner, you're not really training any under in, under anyone, and you're just kind of like building your own Wiccan practice up from like Scott Cunningham, Buckland, and stuff like that. Really, do what you want. I'm going to tell you my experience of presenting elementals, like elemental alignments as a Wiccan. Um, I usually would actually use a bowl of dirt or salt for earth, incense for air. Uh, a glass of water for water and obviously a candle for fire. I kept it very simple and that's actually more traditional intuition in traditional Wicca. Um, I personally wouldn't use different gods to represent those elements, but I'm not going to say that you shouldn't or couldn't. Chase. Um, to add the piece around pan in particular is very interesting for me. Um, and I want to say just first that I actually, I like this person's intuitive connection to Pan as a, mm -hmm. is a tonic deity. Mm -hmm. Pan is a very, very much a tonic deity and that Pan has very close ties to nature, to the wild, to the earth. One of the reasons that Pan is, um, you know, that we see Pan, you know, uh, depicted as a, as a satyr or a fawn, maybe, mm -hmm. um, excuse me, um, is the bestial aspects of his physical form are supposed to represent his closeness to the natural world. Um, you know, and so I think as a deity that would be connected to or would be for you symbolic of earth, I think that he's appropriate for that. Yes. Um, the, the association that you're hearing and reading about a lot, uh, a lot with, with Pan around chaos actually is that's not quite accurate. And wherever you've read that, I want to say that person is probably not as well researched on this as they should be. Um, God, uh, Pan was not a god of chaos. Pan was a god of 
mania or frenzy. And, uh, you know, think of the word panic, right? Pan, uh, a lot of the stories say he had the ability uh, either by making eye contact with people who would observe him in the wild or uh, just, just by being in close proximity to him, he had this ability to kind of incite this sense of mania or uh, almost like like a, a, a lunacy, like, you know, that kind of frenzy, mm -hmm. right, in people. Um, but it wasn't really a chaos. It wasn't meant to be chaotic in nature. What it was is it was heightening those baser or more animalistic or primal elements of us as humans so that we were like him in essence, right? That we were that primal, very close to, to our animalistic selves, right? Um, so not chaos at all. <clears throat> you know, um, and I think again, repeating what I said a moment ago, I think he's actually an okay choice for Earth. I would agree. Um, you'll want to be particular about this. And one thing Austin mentioned in trying to associate elemental correspondences to particular deities, um, in doing that, you could uh, unintentionally, you could be inviting those intelligences, those deities into your space, into mm -hmm. your work. So if you're going to do that, that's fine, but make sure you're ready for those spirits to show up um, and pick your statuary accordingly because uh, not all deities get along mm -hmm. um, and you could have a little bit of trouble there. Yep. Um, the second part, or well, I'm not in the second part necessarily, but the kind of the, the later on piece of that, mm -hmm. I also found really interesting. I think that, um, <clears throat> and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I know that when we teach and kind of the way that we approach our practice on a, on a you know, our, our personal practices, mm -hmm. we tend to kind of focus on what people could consider to be like the more pseudo-scientific elements mm -hmm. of witchcraft, right? Or, yeah. or really just scientific elements. They gave an excellent example of lavender being something that's utilized by prostitutes. Mm -hmm. um, lavender has been used by lots of different things over the years. Yeah. I mean, the ancient Romans used it as an antiseptic. Yep. You know, um, it's also, it was also usually given an offering or associated with death. Mm -hmm. It's got lots and lots of stuff going on. Um, but we also know on a purely uh, chemical level, chemical, maybe chemical is not the right word. No, it's chemical. But on, it's yeah, but on a purely chemical line. level, um, lavender, the scent of lavender is also uh, an aphrodisiac mm -hmm. for, for men, particularly straight, like cis hetero men. Um, so it, in addition to, um well yeah i mean in addition to it making the men think oh well you know like this is yeah you know her she's you know she's she smells good you know like mm -hmm. i'm drawn to her for some other reason right so yeah so because of those very base chemical reasons um yeah i would say absolutely lavender would be an excellent herbal additive to any kind of spell for like attraction or love or glamour Mm -hmm. things like that yeah absolutely um i i agree i will say that the spirit of lavender tends to be a little bit more tra tranquil <laughs> so if you're trying to get something fast i wouldn't necessarily suggest lavender um if you want something fast i'm going to tell you you probably want to go with something more spicy like cinnamon um but yeah the spirit of lavender is good for attraction healing um it is not used for luck yeah, lavender is not used for luck. Put your practical magic Sandra Bullock bullshit away. It is not used for luck. I don't care but what on you heard. I don't care what you heard. Lavender is not for luck. It is a tranquilizing herb. It can be used for attraction. And if you're going to use that as a, well, so it can attract luck. You're right. It can very slowly. 
Yeah, and most of the time when you're going to work luck spells, you don't want it to be slow. So a lavender is a lovely, lovely, lovely herb, Um, lovely, lovely plant spirit to work with and is also used in conjure in Adam and Steve. Uh, work. It's 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 used. It is, that's true. It it's is, used it in in gay attraction. For, yeah, it is used for for um, same sex like male same sex yep. attraction. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> okay. Michaela Besher. Hello. I hear you're in about to be the midst of a snowstorm. January twelfth. <laughs> God. Wow. We're that far behind, are we? I hope you're able to cozy up and enjoy it. That if you have to venture out, you stay safe. Uh, although it isn't snowing here, it is bitterly cold. I hate the cold without the snow the most. And I appreciate your episode last month on keeping up with your spiritual practice during these cold months. It was well-timed for my for me personally. I have a question regarding using your own emotions during spell casting. I'm a pretty beginner witch, but I haven't done any spells when I'm in a particularly heightened emotional state. I raise energy, but I don't have a particular emotion in mind or even overwhelmingly present when I'm doing spell work. The other day, when my anger got the best of me and I felt explosive rage, I wandered... I wondered if there was some sort of magical outlet to use my anger with. It seems to me like using intense anger in a spell could potentially be dangerous. And maybe that's your desired outcome during a baneful working or something. But I think I'm personally too afraid of my true explosive anger to ever use that with magic. That led me to wonder about other intense emotions. Obviously, you don't want to work from fear and anxiety either. But what about intense happiness or disgust or sadness? Just wondering if slash when slash how these intense emotions have a place in spell work or if you should always attempt to keep intense emotions out of a working. Thank you for all you do. I'm trying so hard to come visit your shop and attend one of your classes. One day I'll get to do Austin's Awakening Witch course I've been dying to take since I heard about it. Warmly, Michaela Besher. Thanks, Michaela. Thank you, Michaela. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I think intense emotion is intense emotion is essentially in essence just like a raw form of power. Mm-hmm. And so in witchcraft, I'm I'm just gonna say I, I think that intense emotion is always something that should be factored into witchcraft. And I will say that the intense emotion that you're bringing to your spells and your your other spiritual work, that should not outweigh logic and analysis because those are the things gonna that are gonna help make sure that you structure that spell in the right way like i was having this conversation okay and i'm, I'm not gonna name any names okay but one of our one of our coveners mm-hmm. okay um who i've talked with in the last couple of days is dealing with a, a personal situation involving an ex that is proving just to be an absolute pain in the ass just just, just a real real jerk dude's a real jerk obviously ex for a reason right mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and she's uh, justifiably angry and has a right to fucking be angry. Um, and she is at a point right now where she's like, I, she wants to go like full on baneful route. Yeah. Right. With the idea that the result of that is going to be that it will change the dynamic of, of the ex's behavior, not only toward her, but toward the son that they share. Um, and in talking about that with her, you know, while I absolutely understand the anger, I think sometimes the anger and and all of that builds to a point where it can become destructive or it can take us to a place where yes. we can only see destruction as an option. And if we can pull that back just enough to be able to actually come up with a clearer strategy, you know, and focus on really what we need to see change. Yes. You know, as much as we might think that the change needs to be that person's destruction, is that really the change? 
you know? And so in talking that and seeing like, okay, well, what is it, what is it you really with anger aside, you know, not that you're not allowed to feel your anger. Anger is, is absolutely an appropriate emotion, but what is it you really need to see change, you know? And she's like, well, this I was like, okay, so what needs to happen other than your ex's destruction that mm-hmm. would actually better materialize this change for you? Mm-hmm. And there are, are several other things that could be done yes. on a magical level to handle that situation. With less resistance. Exactly. With less resistance and without, you know, and, and, and she's mad now, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, but how many times have we, we had that, that conversation with somebody where they're like, I was really pissed off and I did this thing. I cursed this person and then they died. Or something really horrible happened to him. And then after niece, like what I'm talking about our niece. Oh, well, you know, whoever. Right. <laughs> but, but then after that, like, then they, it's almost like they get like, you know, like remorse. Yeah. They're like, Oh, I, I probably contributed to this person's undoing. Yeah. Right. Uh, or, or, or demise in some sense. Right. You know, and then, and it's just better overall, unless you're, you know, like me, you're a sociopath and you don't really care if you killed someone or not. It's totally not a sociopath. Um, Trust me, the people over the years that I have worked Baneful Magic on, I have zero guilt. None at all. I'm not saying that if you're... Um, because it was fucking justified. It was deserved. Those people had it coming. I have no regrets at all. Anyway, but um, but it's always better just to, you know not to put yourself in, in, the, in a situation where you might risk like, oh God, somewhere down the line, I might feel like a real piece of shit for doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where I think emotion is always a good thing to harness in our magical work. Um, these people that are like, well, don't do spells in anger. I'm like, those people have obviously never clearly, like clearly have never really worked a spell. Mm-hmm. If that's their approach, mm-hmm. right? We're doing m- magic here. We're doing witchcraft. Yeah. We're not, we're not sitting in a monastery somewhere trying to become an enlightened being, right? You know, uh, emotion is a good thing, right? Agreed. So Sorry, do, do go on. no, you're good. I, I I agree with you 100%. I think that it's very important to, if if something is big enough that you want to work spe- uh, spells and magic around it and utilize witchcraft, then you should have big emotions about it. But those big emotions should not control you. Those big emotions should be the driving force behind the focus. Um, and I always tell my students, like, make your spell as big as your emotions. So that way, not only could it be potentially cathartic for you, um, but also you'll see a better result. Word. I had to, to give Roxy a love. She's just so cute right here. She's being adorable. She's like just off camera, so nobody can really see her. But but one of the managers is here sitting next to me. You could pick her up. She's just, no, oh, she's, no. she's a nanae. I don't want to, I don't want to, have to do it. Oh, 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 here you go. Hi, Roxy. Yes, our Roxy girl. She got the purple hair. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yes, then go that back. Oh, God, no one needs to see our kitchen. Um, okay, so now, anything else you want to add to that? No. Okay, next listener question. Um, this comes from Mackenzie Bishop. I found my email question. Are we apparently- naming people's names now? We're actually using people's names now? Go on. Anyway, um... This is from a saltine who sent us a message and what's too late. Already, already put their name out there. Um, so hello. First of all, I'm a huge fan of the show. Y'all are the best gunkles anyone could ask for to listen to each week. Anyway, I know you appreciate some background. So I'm more of a beginner. I, I am more of a beginner in my practice, just a little over a year. 
very much still learning. Something I am not new to, though, is my mundane job. I am an RN of eight years now. Thank you for oh, the service. Okay, so you've been back and found this. Um, no, she 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 you sent it again. Oh, yeah. okay. I started off as a new grad right away into the ICU. Then after a few years, I went to the float pool. Basically, I went to work at any unit that needed any help. Jack of all trades, if you will. Nowadays, I'm a full-time nursing supervisor. All these years have been on night shift, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. By choice, I might add. I say all of this to conclude that I have seen some shit. I have been made to keep lots of people alive who should have been let die. And I have been a part of many people dying that may or may not have been ready to do so. I am okay with being around death. After the height of COVID, it's not gone, by the way. I am very used to it, actually. As part of my job, I deal a lot with helping clean up the deceased bodies after they've been coded so their families can visit them. And I take a, uh, and I take a lot of part in telling the families that their loved ones have passed. I really don't mind it, but it happens very frequently. I mean a lot. I work three 12-hour shifts a week. Some weeks I have one or more deaths per shift on each of my three shifts. My record, so to speak, so health, sorry, healthcare is morbid, is three deaths in one night. These all happen within two hours, all before midnight, two of which were four minutes apart. At this point, the other nurses and even housekeeping refer to me as supervisor of death. Lovingly, of course. It's like I'm a beacon of death. Is there a reason? So my first question after all this is, is my first question after all of this is, is there something I can do before my shifts to not necessarily prevent so many deaths on my shifts? Because circle of life, Mufasa, you guys get it. But maybe to make it less hectic or even to help it be less traumatic for me to tell people's loved ones. I know I can't make it much better for them since they're the ones losing someone they're close to. But damn, talk about being the bearer of bad news. I do try to do some deep breathing and grounding before going in to tell the families, but I don't always have the time. There's another question. Let's start with this one. Okay. <laughs> um, I want you to to focus, if you're okay with this, I want you to talk about maybe or make suggestions on things that she, that she might be able to do to help herself. Okay. Um, I I want to talk about the other kind of the other side of this situation because while I absolutely understand some days you know, for for someone in this in this line of work right or someone who does this and deals with death on such a consistent level um, I can absolutely understand the desire to want to do something to have some sort of energetic something in place to make the that conversation, having to tell someone that their loved one has died, mm -hmm. having to, you know, having to be the bearer of bad news, you know, having to be that person. I can absolutely understand wanting to maybe kind of like soften the blow there and to kind of make that situation easier. But I also know that in the process of doing something like that, that you could potentially be denying those people an experience that they need to have. You know, the the hardest thing I think for us, one of the hardest things I think to, for us as humans to deal with when we look at death is the... Um, the traumatic moment of realizing like, oh God, this person I loved is dead. Yeah. Right. But I also know that we need to be able to have that moment because if we don't, I don't know that we're ever really able to fully move beyond that. Right. It's kind of like, it's like where I was telling people and you'll, you'll understand this because we get people who, who meet with us all the time that are like, I've, you know, I've been dealing with this grief for like, for months now and I just I don't want to feel this way anymore what can I do 
you know, and that's always a really awful conversation to have to have because we have to send those people away with that. You can't short circuit your grief. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a magic that you can work that would ultimately be good for you as a, as just an, as a being, there's not a magic you can work that is going to shut down or stop your process of grief because you have to feel this. Yes. You have to go have through to feel this. every stage of grief. It's like, you know, it's like a, a wound healing, right? Like mm-hmm. it's gotta be gross. It's gotta get infected. It's gotta get puffy, nasty. There's going to be a scab. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then ideally you see, you know, you know, like new tissue or new, new tissue, scar tissue forms, right? And then you see healing occur, mm-hmm. right? Um, not that that whole process is any healing, it is. But um, so I I want to actually say it's going to be better for you, to be honest, just to continue to handle these other people and the way that you have to relate to these other people in the mundane ways that I'm sure you already are. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're compassionate as you're delivering these messages. You are, uh, you know, you're doing what you can to try to soften the blow. Um, beyond that, these people need to feel what they feel. Mm-hmm. So, but what can, what can she do personally to maybe help herself out in trying to, to make this kind of situation easier for herself? It sounds like she's doing what she's, which, what I would suggest already a good ground center, a line. Um, I'm going to say something that might benefit you is actually like maybe some good grounding stones um, or some sort of, um, some sort of fixation tool where you can actually like work it for an appropriate an appropriate reason so a worry stone or um hell you could even do like putty you could do like silly putty and you could actually add herbs into it um and kind of create a spell out of that so like as you need it you're you know you're you're kind of transmuting that energy that you're putting into it into something different um I would also say, um, as a nurse practitioner, this is going to sound very, very strange, but Reiki, allowing yourself to actually maybe get some sort of training in alternative energy work would be really beneficial because once that line is opened up, even at level one, where you only work on yourself, um, your energy does have a tendency to be able to handle that type of energy or interaction better because it flows it doesn't get caught up in things on top of that when you are attuned to something like reiki um, when you're delivering the message or as you're going in the minute that you kind of focus and just allow yourself to breathe in and allow that energy to flow you're already in a position of healer and so as you're delivering that message every word every breath is charged with that healing compassion energy and you're also receiving that as well that's what I personally would suggest. Um, other than that, you could carry like a small bottle of floral water around with you and you could kind of use that to kind of help keep yourself clear. So that way your energy is not building up so much. Um, tea would be good. Hydrate, 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 hydrate. I, I will tell you dealing with dead energy, you need a lot of water because when you're around the dead, they're thirsty and they want water. And so drink lots of water. It really helps interact and kind of filter out those those spirits and that energy. Don't do it. Calm down. They heard, yes, they heard, um, they heard a, oh, she's so noble. 
<laughs> none of this, this hyper vigilance crap. I think it. I think. I think it was the the ice machine trying to make ice that it hasn't made in years. Okay. <laughs> hey, scout, Nitrobo. Hey. You are you hey. seeping? You because I know. Stop. It's enough. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I personally suggest in that sense. Sound good? Okay. I'm on board. Okay. My second question does occur, uh, doesn't occur as often, but occasionally we will have a patient pass who has no family or no one close by anyway. So they are essentially alone except for us nurses. We try to make sure someone is with them if we can tell that their time is coming soon. I've had patients come for, from facilities with no family who were who we are then told we must have the funeral home cremate the body. It just kills me to zip up the body bag because at that point, it's like I'm the last person who will ever see them before. You know, what happens? Instead of a mom, dad, brother, sister, I always make sure to tell them goodbye and good luck when zipping up the bag. So the actual question here is, is there something small I could do for these people who have no one else? Typically, they are a ward of the state kind of thing. And I don't know that they even have a service of any kind. It's kind of sad. Sorry for this for this being so long. Oh my goodness. Feel free to read this on Brought the podcast. The whole, the whole vibe of the podcast. Feel free to read this on the no. podcast if it isn't too morbid and edit as you need for length. I talk way too much. I appreciate all you guys do. Wish Ohio wasn't so far away from you. Your shop looks sick as fuck, Kinsey. It is sick as fuck. I agree. Thank you, Kinsey. Lots of lots of, of colds and flus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um so I'm going to let you handle this one. Oh, well, thank you. Um, again, I want to say it seems like they're in touch enough with their work and they have enough of an appreciation of the very human element of what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people, particularly if they've worked a long time in the medical industry, you know, like they've been working directly with patients, the ill, people who are dying. Um, I know a lot of people over time that, you know, they've kind of developed this very hard edge mm -hmm. and you have to, you have to, to survive. You have to be able to compartmentalize. Um, but it seems to me that that she still seems very uh, aware of the emotional importance mm -hmm. of dealing with people who are dying and, and the dead. Um, you know, she's not a, not a, she doesn't become a total, total untouchable hard ass yet, right? Um, in, in answering her question and answering this listener's question, what I would probably say is, um, The, those those souls those those people you know they are people right but you know the soul that, that was at one point in that body right by the time they get to that the point that they're already dead um a lot of who and what they are is already gone um the process of death is a really interesting one when you look at it from a, a, the purely from a spiritual level right because who we are the entirety of our being um, begins to kind of unplug and disconnect from this, um, usually a, a good time prior to any actual death occurring. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now that's not always the case, right? Particularly when we look at like surprising or very, very quick traumatic kinds of death, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so most of the time that you're there and you're, you're like, you're in the room with a, with a body, right? That, that person's long gone. They probably haven't been in there for a while, right? Um, but 
prior to that, if you were finding that you were interacting or dealing with people who were still in the process of dying, um, I think one of the best things for you to do in that situation is to um, continue to be a peaceful presence when you are around them, even though they might not physically seem like they are aware of your presence, right? They may not respond to your presence. Beyond that, it is perfectly fair for you to talk to that person's spirits. And I've done this a few times over the years where I've gone into hospitals and I've, I've had to sit and, and, and deal or, or, or interact or just watch over people who were dying. Um, you know, some of them unresponsive completely. Um, you know, and in that moment, you know, being able to, to just basically ask that person, like, you know, like I, I call to the, the spirits, uh, who, who love to the beloved dead of this person. I want you to be here and I want you to do the very important work that you are meant to do now in this time, as this person is so close to being able to join you, right? So close to being able to cross over, right? I need you to be here in this in-between space or this in-between time. And I need you to use whatever strength you have, whatever it is that you can do to make sure that this person is peaceful, that this passing and this process for this soul continues to be as peaceful as it can be, that if there is any fear around uh, crossing over of finally moving from this life into what comes next for them, that you are there to help to explain and to cushion that 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 moment to cushion them and to hold them so that that fear does not become so intense. You know, you can ask for things like that. You can you can ask the spirits to do that. Um, and the thing is, is they will. Like that's their job anyway. If they're connected to that person, they're already really doing that. But I think sometimes as living people, particularly as witches, as living practitioners, we can add a little bit of our fire to that, right? By just kind of issuing the invitation. Like, I need you to be here now. I need you to do more. I need you to do the most that you can for this person. Because this right here is one of the most important moments in the existence of this soul. This is where you are ultimately going to be needed most. Be here, right? Um, and I think that the spirits that are already present, like, it's kind of like I've noticed, like, they kind of, like, they perk up. It's like all of a sudden, you know, like, like oh, well, you know, I was already doing everything I could, but. Now I'm gonna do no. I'm now I'm I'm now, now I'm gonna give 110 percent, right? Mm -hmm. You know I've I've seen kind of like like that that happens, and you and you can feel a presence in the room change. I think around that situation too, it's almost I would almost say it would be comparable to like a process of summoning, right? Well, you're not really summoning these spirits, right? But um, but you're you're kind of giving them a little bit of a like an encouragement, you know, mm -hmm. like like you know now's the time, now's the time, do it, you know, um, yeah. I, I think for this question, I was going to go into like how you can actually help facilitate the passing of a soul, but I don't know that that's a, I don't know that's a conversation I want to put on the podcast. I would agree. Okay. That's all I got. Um, I agree with Mike. Something else you could do as well. Um, you could always evoke Hecate. Uh, she is an excellent one as a, as a tonic goddess, as yeah. a goddess that is associated with liminal spaces and the passing of, of, uh spirit from mm -hmm. one from one existence into the next um the the safety and the peace um you can you can offer up a psychopomp through hecate to ensure the 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 currying of the of that soul and that spirit safely yeah um so lots of things absolutely hope that helps and thank you so much for a lovely question sorry it took us forever to get to it but thank you for staying tuned and you actually responded to my email that I sent you while recording this podcast to say, 
So sorry for the delay. We're getting to it. We're recording it right now. You responded. So I'm sure you're on night shift right now. I hope your shift is going well. And thank you so much, Kinsey. Your turn. Are we all, all done? Yep. All right. Well, <clears throat> no. Well, no I mean, with, your, with your questions? No. Oh, well, I mean, get on. Okay. okay. This comes from Jasper. Jasper? Who's Jasper? Just kidding. Anyway. Hi, ja- hi Jasper. Hi, Jasper. So recently I've been re-listening to the podcast again in an attempt to remember information I've lost over the last year. In your first quote-unquote witchy ramblings episode, you were discussing a customer who came in talking about flesh pedestrians. Skindy nopes. Oh, okay. I was like, what the f- uh, <laughs> And their very irrational fear surrounding them since she was not indigenous. However, you brought up a point about these types of beings that I wanted to hear more thoughts on. You said in reference to the cryptid, it's a spirit, but also a type of person. For reference, it was minute 2330. Your tism is showing. And that made me ponder and what to know. My tism shows this. all the time. Jasper, I love you. That was very, that was very specific. And I'm like, they must be listening to this episode right now. Okay, so I I, I was being dumb and talking over you. So what exactly are we clarifying? Here's the question. Okay. What exactly are these cryptids we hear about? I.e. Bigfoot, Windy Nopes, Flesh Pedestrians. And do you believe they are physical or are they a type of Evergore or a mix of the two? How do we as witches in different parts of the country slash world handle these entities when we encounter them? Okay. That it there's a second part oh, okay well let's, let's i remember part. austin saying that he would know what to do if one were encountered but would it listen to us if we tried to banish them if we happen to be camping and encounter them or do we need to defer to the practices of the cultures that surround those creatures of folklore could it be both um okay so let's let's in solidarity take, jasper let, e. Grace let's, let's take this kind of like piece by piece because there, there are a few things here so I, I think it's probably fair to qualify right at the start of this conversation that as of right now, like no one knows, right? No one knows. But uh, but I think as witches and as occultists, I think that we've had some experiences that would give us like maybe a little bit of a window mm-hmm. into some of what's going on here. Um, I, and I, to be honest in answering this, I want to say that, that all of those things are, are potentially true. Um, you know, I think that what we identify as cryptids, these these are beings that are, many of them are, are absolutely known to have very physical, tangible form. Uh, but I also know that many of them also are, uh, they are more uh, more akin to or more closer to what we would identify as the spirit realm. Um, so I think it really probably just de- it depends on the cryptid, mm-hmm. to be honest. You know, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, um, you know, moving on from from that, I, I think that in I can't remember how he just how 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 they worded that that second bit how how just worded that second bit. Um, Do you need me to pull it up? Again? No, you're you're good. I think I think the other the other piece of that really that I wanted to address is you know as as far as witches encountering as far as magical practitioners encountering these kinds of beings. Yeah, there's a middle bit in there that, that they said that I'm missing. Um, witches who encounter these beings. Okay. Um, 
how you would handle them, I think, is again, really going to kind of depend on the circumstances for how you encounter them. Okay. Um, if you're like out camping in the woods somewhere where you are likely to run into a cryptid, um, I, I don't know that in that situation that your magical work would really be as effective in trying to banish that spirit because in essence, you're kind of in its territory. That would be like somebody breaking into my house and demanding that I leave. You know, I mean, I'm going to be like, get the fuck out of my house. You know, you're the stranger here, you know? Um, so I'm not sure about that. I think that rather than trying to banish a spirit in that situation, it would probably be better for you to do what you can to protect yourself. Um, in both physical and in mundane ways, um, and then try to get the hell out of there like ASAP. Um, you you probably don't want to try to fight a cryptid. Um, as to methods for for working uh, energetically, spiritually against these kinds of beings, I would say that you probably do want to familiarize yourself with maybe the traditional methods that would have been used to keep these these beings away. Right, it's always good to have that knowledge. You know, um, if there are cultures of origin for these cryptids, and there always are, right, um, there are going to most likely be folk practices within those cultures that are going to have been utilized for many, many years to effectively kind of keep that thing away, mm -hmm. right, to keep it away from the village or away from whatever, right. Um, but I also know that what we do as witches, the energies that we work with, the methods that we work with very often are a bit more universal than we maybe think they are. Um, I've, I've seen witches utilize uh, magic and do workings and rituals that would be firmly rooted in their tradition of origin and their practice or things very far outside of that. And they've gotten the same effect. And I think a lot of that really, to be honest, has to do with the belief in the power of the witch. Right. Um, yeah. So I so I don't know. Those are those are my answers. I don't know. Other uh, side of the coin. Does there have to be another side of the coin? What if all these cryptids are just like... Oh, that was the piece I missed. What they are. That was the piece that I, I didn't answer. Go on. Uh, what are these... What if all these cryptids, like, you know, Skindy Nopes, and then something else elsewhere, what if they're the same thing, but just applied to those different cultures so obviously you would have the um like indigenous practices and beliefs here in, in in the states okay but then you'd have stuff like um the middle east what if they're the same creature i'm not saying like like same thing mm -hmm. but like species what if these are all magical spiritual metaphysical yeah. things that throughout history a uh, culture has identified and described this way mm. but then another culture has identified and described this way so you're so you're thinking or, or possibly you're, you're talking about something so like within the realm of say like fey yes right? like fairy yeah, beings which we identify primarily as more etheric spiritual beings, mm -hmm. but they they clearly are are capable of physical interaction with our world, mm -hmm. with our realm. Yeah, um, so there, there's got to be something going on there. They have a physical presence. So, but we also understand that the fae that we identify them as like kind of like one 
race of life or mm-hmm. being like they're mm-hmm. they're they're very diverse yes and they're the way they appear the things they're supposed to do the places that they live obviously mm-hmm. so so you're implying that all these cryptids could in essence kind of be really like one race of being they all just kind of are they're just they're just very diverse right yeah so okay. like all right. zebras fall in the house of like equestrian yes right so a horse type okay four-legged hooved big ears you know um but that's just you know where the zebra's origin is which i think is africa big ears Do zebras have big ears? well they have like horse ears is what i'm saying oh gotcha like i'm not talking like floppy ears. um yes i, I believe zebras are, are native to uh areas of africa so but then we see a same like race but subspecies of that creature in the in of the the common horse in asia okay like they're all horses but different horses yes i understand so what if that is what the thing is and so when someone from that culture Mm -hmm. again using like someone who is german who is an immigrant from germany only speaks german Mm -hmm. ends up in utah Mm -hmm. what are the beliefs in that practitioner's culture they see it and they're like that's a similar thing to what we see in our area of the world so i'm going to go with my practices and because of that almost like like how all dogs are 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 grapes are poisonous to dogs uh-huh. and canines like uh-huh. that what if it's like that that was very convoluted all i really got from that was that you're interested in you're interested in working magic to keep german people out of utah that's all i got from that explanation i'm sorry it's something about grapes um i, th- I think i understand kind of where you were going with that although that was a very odd comparatively that was a very odd thing. are you high right now um you are you're high right now um no i think you are um i think we're i think we're good i in looking at answering that again i want to i want to say that i think that again we, we never really know right mm-hmm. i think that these are, are my, my personal belief is that these are all cryptids are beings that are just they're just a kind of another part of just the the ecosystem as it would relate to not only our physical planet but to the network of spiritual beings that we're aware of Mm -hmm. like these are spirits that kind of i think have maybe fallen through the cracks or that are maybe not just you know they're just because they're kind of in between right um and but but they've always been there you know um and i think that again they're just kind of they're just part of the network to be honest it's funny because i was having this conversation with someone at ashley's birthday party last night um and she loves cryptids and she was really excited because she was getting a Mothman tattoo. And we were talking about like other cryptids very briefly. And um, and I was sitting there thinking, I was like, because we were talking about Bigfoot uh, or like the Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And then we were like the Yeti because mm-hmm. they're like, because they're kind of believed to be similar, right? Mm-hmm. They're both like ape, like humanoid kinds of creatures, yeah. right? But I was thinking like, what if bigfoot which is commonly seen in the u.s and in areas of canada right what if bigfoot and yeti are actually the same cryptid but like 
evolved. Bigfoot like lives in the US and then he decided he wanted to take like a vacation like through the Himalayas, but he wanted to like change up his look at the same time. So he went like platinum blonde and then traveled through Asia. And then like some people in Asia, like around the like the Himalayas area, like they caught like pictures of him and they're like, oh, it's the Yeti. And it's like, well, no, it's just Bigfoot. He just like, he just blonde now. But but what if the Yeti is actually Bigfoot? So that entire story in well, it, well, it could work the other way. Like, you know, who knows? Maybe like the Yeti was like, fuck this place. It's fucking cold here. Or, and, or and moved, relocated to the US and decided to like go back to his natural color. Yeah. Like, or like my theory, my theory where like, it's all the species of Bigfoot, but like when we were Pangea. Okay. Like, okay. When we split, those species actually were like, like they had to evolve. Yeah. For their, well, for well, their like, climates. Like, like primates. Yeah. In essence, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Like, right. or, or like how the original 150 Pokemon all looked like all, all Charmander, Charmanders looked the same. But then, but then you have the Alolan Charmander, which is still Charmander, but different. How's it different? I don't think I've seen an Alolan. They're 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 a dark type. In in the Alolan, they look the same. Yeah, so like they're adapted to their environment. So like they've got like their color has darkened and their okay. flame has turned um like an eerie like blue or green. Oh, those Pokemon people are really phoning it in. Hmm. But do you get what I'm saying? Um, I, I think I, I'm i going to say that I do so that we can move on. Um, there were other questions? Yeah. For half hours? Uh, nope, that was it. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, hopefully some of that was uh, of, of use. If not, let us know. Um, do you have any other questions? Nope. Okay. Because we're, we're what? Thank you all. I'm trying to watch the clock. I mean, we're still doing okay. It's only 920. All right, so I have just how long have we been going. I just a couple. Um, I don't know. I mean, we probably got started about an hour right now. Um, <clears throat> okay. Question, and I already sent like a kind of like a quick response. Like posted this two weeks back. I kind of posted just a very quick like ten minute video with an answer to this because I just I thought it was such an important thing but and because of that i want to kind of go over it here again now just a bit okay but the question came in basically that um when is magic too much for a situation or when is when is when should we not use magic um and i kind of answered this one on my own one of the other reasons i wanted to kind of talk about this is i wanted to give you a chance to kind of share your ideas on this okay um when magic is too much I honestly can't really think of a situation where magic would be as an energy, as a supplemental thing to do. I honestly can't really think of a situation where magic would be too much. What is this balloon thing? I don't know. It's something your laptop does. It's so weird. I don't know. God, you know about my phobia of balloons? Of clowns, but where there are balloons, there are almost always clowns. Oh my god, Roxy, run. Run? Why? Is she also afraid of clowns? No, there's a clowns. Oh. Okay. Is he cute? I thought you were afraid of clowns. Well, I am, but I get aroused when I'm afraid. They call it being scare-roused. Oh. Hey, he's it's a medical term. 
He's I. Right. He's more of like the Ugh. the new it instead of old it. Have a have an eyelash. Um. Anyway, can magic you, can you much. think of a situation where magic might be like, oh no, like this is too much. Like no, no, no magic now. Like, can you think of anything? Situations. Uh, I I agree with you, but I think it would be like situations that um you've already worked magic around and you consistently keep working magic around it mm-hmm. um i think that sometimes it's almost like it can build up and it's not that it creates um more charge as much as it's like it burns itself out okay so then like an overloaded circuit yeah okay um situations like that i guess okay you would need to like probably stop adding that magic but i can't really think of well i mean we've talked about this before and, I, and it's not that it's necessarily like the, there's too much too much magic i think i'm, I'm probably a better concern or a more, probably a, a more important thing to be considering is this is the situation is magic appropriate given the situation yes you that. know um and, and again i just want to say i think almost any situation that we experience in life is probably an appropriate one for magic to be used but magic should i think always be the supplemental energy mm-hmm Right. So I mean, we talked about that a lot on the podcast, right? Like you can work every spell in the world to like find a new job. But if you're not actually sending out resumes and going to interviews, your spell is not going to do a goddamn thing. Right. So um, so that would be the only thing I could see that would be similar to this. Okay. What what about the other one? The other one was um, when should we not use magic? We should not use magic when our spirits and our connections and our divination tells us not to. But I'm also going to say if it's simply a conversation that needs to be had and you're too scared to have it, probably don't use magic on it. If it is something that is common sense, you know, obviously you need to pay your phone bill. So instead of working magic to pay your phone bill so that you can get this $300 rock, maybe just pay your phone bill and not worry about that rock so so really you're you're really the kind of the, the bottom line there is really like in instances where the use of magic could be kind of falling into like spiritual bypass yeah territory. spiritual bypass okay. or just flippant yeah I, I mean that's also that's also fair i think that you know if you're if you're someone who's really working magic regularly you know, uh, and by regularly, I mean like like one of your first thoughts anytime you encounter a situation in your life is how would I how can I do a spell for this? Um, I, I think that yeah, in that moment it is probably a good idea maybe to check yourself a little bit. You know, like I mean, we're witches, we do spells, we work magic. That's part that's part of the part of the work, right? That's mm-hmm. what we do, right? Um, but I also know that even though I know that that's always an option for me and something I can do in looking at the many different, the many things that I deal with in my life, just on, on the daily, my first instinct isn't always like, Oh, how can I handle this with a spell? Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of like, okay, like this is how I know I need to handle this. And if I try this and it doesn't work, then I might consider it a spell. Right. Or I might do maybe a spell, but only after I've made those first mundane or physical mm-hmm. efforts. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So can you think of a situation? Nothing come to mind. I think I think this question is kind of an odd one because it, it it's kind of it's personal it's, each it's, way it is it's well it is it's very personal but also I think this this question is it's kind of structured in a sense where it's almost like a very black and white kind of a perspective mm-hmm. right and there's really no such thing as black and white when it comes to witchcraft exactly um, also I think that um, a lot of this has to do with 
not necessarily when or how or should you it's going to really come down to like like what kind of magic are you doing right mm -hmm. or how how maybe maybe how much magic you're using right because you could do like great big huge spell and fire off like great big nuclear bombs worth of spiritual energy in a situation that only required like a tiny little charm yeah right so those those would be situations i think maybe. divine 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 yes i am <laughs> um okay let's see uh this was a new one that came in in the last week okay um person was inquiring about working hexes and or binds basically baneful magic on family members and is it okay to do this um you know and they related some other stories or some other details in this and i, I don't really want to go into that because that was like private family kind of stuff right um but in answering this question um i want to say that i i think that baneful magic is something even hexes and binds which many people don't consider baneful magic but but the hexes and binds fall under the category of baneful magic um uh, i think that in working those things th those are those are always an option i think um after you have exhausted all of your other options right um you really probably shouldn't be going there first thing right um but i don't think that there should really be any limit like if you're going to put a hex on someone you can absolutely that can totally be somebody in, in your family mm -hmm. you're like the people in your family to be honest are probably sometimes the people that we want to hex and bind the most because they're usually the people that we deal with the most mm -hmm. right the only concern i have on this is how you might see some of the collaterals around that working materialize mm -hmm. well toby um one of the other managers has come to say hello um Hi, can you smile pretty for the camera? Over here. Can you turn around? No? Okay. He's anyway. camera shy. He's oh he's super shy, this one. Oh yeah. Um, there's his little face. You're so handsome. Aren't you handsome? You're a gentleman, aren't you? Hi. Okay, focus. Um, so uh like in this situation, right? Like if you're living with these people. Mm -hmm. Right, where some of the things that could potentially pop up in their lives, the inconveniences, the limitations, whatever it is that you have kind of structured into your court, you're working for this person, your hex or your bind. If those are things that could also potentially kind of spill over and influence you, you know, like this happened like a while back, just, you know, as a for instance, you know, somebody comes in, you know, they are really angry with a roommate, right? Their roommate has been really shitty at respecting boundaries, has just, you know, just been a shitty roommate, right? And they wanted to do something to get even with their roommate, right? So they thought about all the things in their lives or their roommate's life that they value most. And their roommate had just gotten a new car and they really loved this new car. And they thought, okay, if something shitty happened to their car, this, this would be a good way for me to kind of get a little back on them. You know, and I'm not saying I necessarily respect their approach here because obviously there were a number of other ways they could have handled this mm -hmm. that would have been much healthier, much more constructive. But they decided to do a spell and they targeted their roommate's car on that spell spell fires off does exactly what they need to do roommate loses new car right okay great right you got what you wanted your roommates pissed off you were able to hurt them in some capacity what you didn't think about is your roommate was in essence was in essence your ride back and forth to work and now they don't have a car Right. So that's kind of what I'm talking about mm -hmm. when, when people want to do these things, particularly things that are going to affect the people that are so close to them, even under the same roof. 
and they don't realize like, oh God, if I do this to this person, what kind of unforeseen consequences might spill over into my life? Mainly because we share space, right? So those are the kind of the, the things that I always kind of tell people like, do consider this. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, no, I think that hexes and binds and even curses are are perfectly acceptable for family relationships. Um, why why do those people get get off on being mm-hmm. jerks just because they happen to share blood? Yeah. Right. Or or live with us. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with Mike. You might you might have some spillover, right. so make sure that the punishment fits the crime and avoid spells like sour jars. Yeah. Well, sour jars you, aren't really going to be good for no, that situation. Well, no. and you can structure spells like if you wanted to still do a hex or a bind, you can be careful in the way that you structure those so that you can limit the kind of collateral damage, right? You absolutely you can do that. You know. In that situation, though, I would probably say maybe it would be more effective to actually do some sort of like banishment. Right? Mm-hmm. Just get that person to go the fuck away. Yeah. You know, obviously, as long as you're not dependent on them in other ways, right? Because that's something else I've seen people do over the years. They'll do a spell to banish someone who's difficult for them in their lives and not really consider like, oh, I'm actually kind of financially uh, like dependent on this person, you know, and now they've done a spell that's basically like driven off the paycheck, right? Um, yeah. And then they're kicking themselves in the ass for it after. Yeah. Okay. Um, we had a question from Jacques, Jack, who will actually be on the um, podcast next week, two weeks from now. Two oh, weeks from now. cool. Sweet. Yeah, I'm really excited, actually, to, to talk to Jack again. Um, okay, let's see. So after listening to Mike's story, um, question popped up. Oh, this is on what I talked about with the psychometry. Oh, okay. okay. Um so, which again was just kind of a mini episode last week. So, uh, so Jack says, um, if an object has been in the possession of multiple individuals, does it retain those energetic memories or does each new individual replace, uh, basically does like each new person that comes into contact with that, do they, do, does their experience with that object overwrite its prior experiences with people or prior energetic connections? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my answer to that, and you may have a different one of this, I don't know, but uh, my answer to that no is that no, most of the time those objects are going to bond with each of those people. There could be a piece of lots of different people connected to that object. The, the thing to remember with that though is that only those people who were in connection with that object during a specific moment in their life that was likely to create some sort of big energetic burst that would create that connection only those people are going to be able to have an energetic connection to that object or would likely have an energetic connection to that object so that would be where those echoes or those memories would come from um just any random person who happens to handle that object is not going to imprint that object with something if that were the case, then then every time I had handled an object to do psychometry for someone over the years, I would have been putting myself into that object. Um, you know, but so, so, so yes, so these objects are very likely to, to pick up lots and lots of different things from different sources, but usually under those circumstances and only those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that? I re- I agree with that. And I think it depends on the item um, as well, <clears throat> because I do believe, and I have come into experiences or, or maybe I just didn't go as deep as I could uh, by you doing psychometry um, where I could feel and and see and experience like different memories of different people, but then handling that same object, the only thing I the only thing I could remember was I could only pick up was the thing of like this big thing. So I think it might be um 
I think I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you, but I think that the sometimes the most predominant energy in that object is going to be the loudest. Yes, yes, yeah. Who, whoever ultimately owned that object that had like the biggest, baddest emotional kind of boom connection to it will almost always be the loudest voice. Yes. That we will pick up on as mediums. Um, but I also know, because that kind of leads us into the second part of this question, um, because Jack asks, how would a medium cycle through that much energy to find the relevant ones um, in relation to the current user? And I know that one of the other things that helps with that is that the living person that typically brings that object to us is also going to be an energetic tether or connection to the spirit that they want to talk to, mm -hmm. right? That is going to be connected to that item, right? So in that situation, it can help to have that other person to help to kind of focus or to help us to kind of almost call upon or draw that specific spiritual energy or intelligence. So that's been something that also helps to kind of make things a little bit easier for the medium in that instance. Um, but as you said, there have been situations where I've held something and there have been a lot of voices in that item, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it takes a bit of skill, I think, and a little bit of experience, but you do get to a point where you're able to kind of start to distinguish, you know, yeah. I think the only time that it might be real, like where something wouldn't hold memories of, of, of all those things would be if it was a haunted object. Um, haunted objects I mean in like a sense, if a spirit was attached to it well in essence that's kind of what we're talking about because when we talk about psychometry and I kind of clarified this on the episode last week psychometric items or items used in psychometry are typically going to fall into two categories you're going to have items that actually have an intelligent kind of a haunting happening mm -hmm. where there is an intelligent spirit that just refuses to detach itself from the item right for whatever reason right and then you're going to have the other kinds of items that really just kind of have like that energetic echo or memory yeah. Right. But those aren't intelligent hauntings, really. They kind yeah. of both technically count as hauntings, but one is an actual ghost. The other one is just the memory of something. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, in in looking at that, sorry, I pet Toby and now my eye is a cheat. It's because you um, pet Toby and you touched your eye. You touched your eye. I did. Um, didn't we already really basically just answer your question, like with some of the other shit that we said? Yes. Probably. Yes. Move on. Yes. Okay. I'm sitting here thinking like, we're, it seems like we're, we're just re-answering the same things. Um, there's more. Okay. Uh, second question. Bit off topic. Jack apologizes. You're okay. You don't need to apologize. You're good. And you're definitely not Scott. Okay. Um, all right. Let's see. Uh, can spirits carry scents? Like citrus or a smell of a particular incense? Yes. And if so, why would this happen? Yes. Um, it's very similar to the... Um, it's very similar to psychometry, um, in my in my opinion, because scent has the it is one of the strongest ties to memory that we have, and so yes, but I also don't think everyone's going to perceive it the same way. Um, I think some people will perceive spirits more that way, where you have someone who's isn't that gut gun clear alliance clear alliance where they're where that's like their main form of spirit communication, so they get lots and lots of smells. But you can also have a spirit that's strong enough that everyone will always smell that same thing. So, yes. Um, and I think part of it is not just memory, but I also believe that some people have 
or some energies can be so powerful that we can actually pick them up on a physical level. Uh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know one other thing that I've seen happen over the years, and it's always important to remember that as humans, when we have interactions with spirit of whatever kind, that so much of what's really going on in that moment is going to be structured around our physical ability to perceive spirit, mm -hmm. right? Just as we can, spirits can look like the same spirit can look completely different to a number of different people because each person's physical sense of sight and just the other things that we we have going on as physical beings, right? Those ultimately will shape our perception of that spirit differently or can. So the same is true of scent. And a lot of times, you know, it's not even necessarily that the room, that there is a scent in the room. It, I think, has more to do with the fact that that spirit is able on some energetic way to trigger the memory of that scent within us, which based on the way that our mind works can actually put us back in a moment where we are actually physically believing we're smelling the thing, right? It's like kind of like, when, you know, like some of you, maybe if you're lucky enough, you have memories of like grandma's house at the holidays, right? And she's baking cookies, right? And you can focus on the memory of what her house smelled like while she was baking cookies to the extent that you actually start to smell the cookies baking, right? Um, like there are people who have those kinds of, of abilities or who have the ability to trigger scent memory in that way. And I think that a lot of spirits have the ability to do the same thing to us. Um, Spirits are very effective at being able to alter the subtle energies of our physical being um, in those in those ways, depending on the kind of spirit. Uh, question three. Uh, are there people that spirits avoid, uh, excluding witches or magical, other magical practitioners? Um, if there are, how would spirits go about doing this and why would they do this? I think there are. Um, I've actually, I, I, one immediately came to mind, um, not a person, but a type of person. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I think that there are individuals who are not psychic, but they're nega psi. And so nice. like they're negative psychic. And what so it's like, does that mean? If you're negative psychic, doesn't that just mean that you're like super material? logical it, explain this to me what the hell does that mean it's like their their aura doesn't it like negate psychic energy it's like they're they're walking selenite essentially ah okay and it doesn't get rid of it it doesn't clear it but like as long as their aura is taking up that space mm -hmm. like it's just like there's no energy usually i'm gonna say psychic Okay, so so that and that was when I said a second ago somebody came to my mind, that that's immediately who came to mind. And we're not necessarily talking about the people in this situation. We're kind of talking about why spirits maybe might be avoiding people. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I agree with you. Yes, there are people out there that do for whatever reason. They just seem to have this natural thing about them where they just ground spiritual energy. Mm -hmm. um, they sometimes show up at the shop and show up for classes and and rituals and things and. As much as we love them, they're they're always kind of a a downer energetically for what we're trying to do mm -hmm. in the rites or the whatever the hell's going on in the class, right? Um, and that's just some component of their being, right? Uh, but I mean, what a great person to to move into a haunted house, though, right? Like, 
that's who you want living in a haunted house, right? Is someone who like, not one, doesn't feel anything and most likely probably doesn't really believe in mm-hmm. much, right? But someone who also actually has the ability, even though they're not aware of it and don't believe in it, actually has the ability because of their own energetic being to really basically just like completely ground out any of the haunting activity. And like I... Like I think of that sometimes. Like you see these movies, like where people move into a haunted house mm-hmm. and they're like, this this would be an ideal situation for someone who like this to move in and just buy a ghost. It's it's but then the spirits be running away from them because they're like, oh no, this bitch gonna eat me. Well, see, and that's see, that's the thing though, because people who have the ability to kind of ground out that kind of psychic energy or spiritual energy, they're not necessarily psychic vampires, mm-hmm. right? The psychic vampires came to my mind because Jack asks, are you know the spirits avoid these people? Mm-hmm. And you know, and how would they go about doing it and why would they do it? And psychic vampires immediately came to mind because psychic vampires, if they're not aware that they are, first of all, that they are psychic vampires and they haven't done any work to try to figure out that how that ability works for them or, or how they work on an energetic level, they will go around just in essence, kind of just absorbing and feeding all the time. Mm-hmm. And when they feed, even though we call them vampires, that doesn't mean that they're just feeding on living people. Like they will feed on ghosts and spiritual activity as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I could see being a ghost or some other sort of spiritual being in a space, having a psychic vampire enter that space and being like, you're not feeding on me. Fuck you. I'm out, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm going to do everything I can to avoid you while you're here in this space. Right. Um you know, and as far as for as far as how spirits avoid us, to be honest, that's actually pretty easy for them because they're not spirits don't have to to engage with us. They mm-hmm. don't have to deal with us. Most of the time that we interact with spirits, it's because we've gone into their territory, right? Like we we've invaded or we've made enough of a nuisance of ourselves with our lives and our noise and whatever else it is that we're doing, right? Where like we kind of basically like just kind of plonk ourselves down in the middle, right? And if they're an intelligent spirit, right, and they're they would just rather not have to deal with the living at all, they're they're just gonna bail, right? Um, I think the only time I would see a situation like that that where where you'd see would different would be where you were moving into a situation where rather than an intelligent haunting, you were again kind of dealing with an echo or a memory because those things aren't going to stop just because humans have moved into that or, or living people have moved into the mm-hmm. space, right? They're gonna continue. And more often than not, I think that's what a lot of haunting phenomena is, right? Where you see these people, they're like, every night at exactly 3.30, I hear footsteps going down the hall outside my bedroom door. It's like, that's not really a haunting at this point. That's not a ghost, I should say. That's not a ghost. That's an energetic imprint or a memory mm-hmm. of at some point, someone in the past walking down that fucking hall at 3.30 in the morning, right? Probably for some serious reason, right? They really had to pee. Um, sometimes it's serious. Sometimes I have to get up at 3.30 in the morning to pee. And it is serious. I'm telling you right now. Oof, it's bad. Getting old sucks. Um, anyway, <laughs> so spirits don't really need to avoid the living. They usually choose to do so because the living are, uh, we suck. We're, we're not typically good neighbors to spirits uh, in the same way that we're not good spirits to fae and elementals and basically every other kind of spiritual life form that exists yeah we all need to do better what if what if what if life is actually that nicole kidman movie 
the others. Yeah. Um, oh, Jack says says he loves us. We love you too, oh. Jack. Um, so like when we're interacting with a spirit, we're actually interacting with like we are the dead and we've like crossed over into the living. Oh, okay. But like for them, we're that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. You you'd have to be. I mean, I could, you can see something like that being like that could be a legitimate thing, right? Particularly if you're dealing with a, like an intelligent spirit that doesn't realize that it's dead. Mm-hmm. And we get those spirits like right. they show up at our seances and shit sometimes they where they're like, like you know, like you know, you're dead. Like, I'm not dead. It's like, yeah. How how did you get here tonight? Otherwise, you know, like think about it. You know, but of course, there's a lot of trauma around that, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yes, that's an interesting idea. So we're really the ghosts. We're really the ghosts in someone else's haunted house. And the ghosts in our haunted house are actually... I don't think I'm the ghost because I would... I'd be making a hell of a lot more trouble if I were the ghost. But we're unaware. Uh, like it's mm. different realities that's very true it's like multiverse right. shit you're right mm. also that was a good movie i like that movie i know a lot of people like like to like to shit on that movie but oh, I, that movie, the others yeah. was really kind of cool and it was really a very interesting story at the yeah. time that it came out i really liked it yeah i should watch it from the book um anyway okay i've got a couple more things okay um few weeks back we did uh kind of sort of an episode on sex magic we talked about sex magic for about 15 minutes um anyway and um we the the person who brought that that topic to us um i neglected on that episode to drop any book references for sex magic so i have a couple now okay um the first one i'm going to recommend uh mainly because i just am very uh i I really i've I've developed a great appreciation for many of his other books and his work but the author jason miller it has a book called sex sorcery and spirit okay um anything jason miller writes is going to be worth your reading jason miller is brilliant um so so check out sex sorcery and spirit by jason miller the other one i'll be honest with you i'm not familiar with but i've heard other people have worked with this book a bit and they they've been okay with the results like they've been happy with the book with the information the other one is modern sex magic by donald michael craig and craig is spelled k-r-a-i-g so Modern Sex Magic by Donald Michael Craig. Okay. Those are going to probably be two good books. Um, Modern Sex Magic, I think, is, a, is several years old. Uh, I believe Jason Miller's book is a little bit newer. I think between the two, if you picked them both up and were able to kind of give, you know, flip through both of them, you're probably going to get like a pretty, pretty well-rounded yeah. kind, of, kind of bit of information. Yeah. It's also not that um, complicated. It's true. I mean, mo- most people are having sex anyway. Mm-hmm. right you just basically need to take what you do and what you understand around energies from the perspective of a witch or a folk magician or an occultist whatever right and combine that with what you're already doing as it would pertain to your sex life sex magic is not a complicated thing and it sh- certainly should not be a taboo kind of a thing mm-hmm. right if you are someone who feels if you're a magical practitioner and you still are of the belief that sex magic is a taboo kind of thing one, why are you practicing magic? And two, why are you ever having sex? You shouldn't be doing either. Um anyway, that's what I have. So I think we're I think we're at an episode. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for not only watching, but listening, Saltines. Thank you for joining us again in our lovely living room. And we will yak at you next week. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Happy witching.